Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Acts 4. No doubt we are all familiar with signs that we might see driving, especially in maybe a a downtown urban area, a sign that says one way and then tells us which way the traffic must go on that street. But if you have been paying attention for any length of time to kind of the Christian subculture in the United States of America, you have no doubt seen signs saying one way and pointing up. So these signs are not meant to direct traffic on downtown streets. These signs are meant as a reminder that there is one way to heaven. And that way is through Jesus Christ. And today in Acts 4, we are going to see something that reminds us of that. And one of the most powerful presentations of that reality in the Bible. So let's look at Acts chapter 4 together. Now, this comes right in the wake of what we read in chapter 3. So chapter 3, you've got the miracle uh, where they heal the lame man, and then you've got the message. Again, coming back to some similar themes to chapter 2, you killed Jesus, God raised him, now you need to repent. And so in, in the midst of all that, as they're speaking to the people, the priests and the temple and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come upon them. And it says they're greatly annoyed. They don't like that they're have this crowd at the temple, and they certainly don't like that they're telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. So they arrest them and they put them in custody until the next day. But before it kind of gets into the continued proceedings, that's the focus of this chapter. Um, It gives us a little update on, well, what was the result of the message? Well, verse four, many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And at the end of chapter two, it talks about 3,000 being added. So I think it'd be right to understand, well, that this means two more thousand were added. So now they're up to 5,000. So you see thousands of people are responding by repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ. But the drama here then goes with Peter and John as they are brought before the leaders. And if you're paying attention, they're brought before Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. Do you remember reading through John? These are some bad dudes. These are the men responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. So even make that connection with John, where he's uh, with with the gospel of John, where Jesus said, they're going to hate you just like they hated me. Well, now the same exact guys are bringing them before uh, the council. And they asked them, by what power or by what name do you do these things? And then it says, Peter responds in verse 8, and then notice this phrase, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus told them now the world would hate them? Remember one thing he says to them in the gospel? The Spirit is going to help them in times exactly like this. Don't worry about what to say. The Spirit's going to help you with what to say. And here the Spirit is helping Peter say what he needs to say. And he makes it clear this isn't about this uh, crippled man who is now healed. It's about the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And again, We get back to that similar theme, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. So now, different forum. This isn't to the crowd that had gathered in the wake of the miracle. Now it's to the council, to these religious leaders. It's the same message. Jesus Christ, you crucified him. God raised him. And now he speaks more, though, of the importance of Jesus. In verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boom. We're going to proclaim the name of Jesus. You crucified him, but God raised him, but he is the only hope. There is no salvation apart from him. He is the one way to heaven. He is the one way to the Father. And that's the big idea I want us to meditate on from Acts chapter 4. Let's look at the rest of the chapter, though, and then try to put all of that together. This is great here in verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's an amazing statement. And if you want to be bold and if you want to be a witness like Peter and John, well, then you need to know Jesus. Um, so that people can look at you and say, wow, this guy, he's clearly, he, he's clearly been with Jesus. He's clearly been transformed by Jesus. And, and that comes across to them. And, and then again, you see that the weak-willed religious leaders, they're, they're too afraid to be bold and, and to take decisive action on anything. Uh, you know, well, you, you know, they, they've clearly done a sign. So what, what can we do with them? Well, let's just tell them to knock it off. And so they tell him to knock it off. But Peter and John say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so they threaten them, but then they let them go. Now, and we'll get to the prayer uh, in a minute, but let's come back and put all of this together. What is the theme here? The theme is it's about Jesus. Again, the, the common refrain, you crucified him, God raised him. But today they make it very clear there is salvation in no one else. It's only Jesus. So I want to talk to you today about what this means for you. And you need to be convinced that Jesus is the only way. That is not the message of our world. That honestly wasn't the message of this culture back in the the first century where there was all kinds of idolatry. To this day, people want to believe that there are many ways to God, especially in America. But I want you to be convinced that Jesus is the only way. That needs to be a conviction that you have. And one person has described convictions, you know, there's beliefs that we hold, but convictions are the beliefs that hold us, right? The convictions are the beliefs that are so strong, they've got a grip on us and they shape our lives. One of the convictions that needs to shape your life is that Jesus is the only way. That's going to affect how important you think ministry and missions and church and all of these things are. 
If we really believe Jesus is the only way, that should give some serious direction to our lives. And again, that is not a popular message, especially not in our culture. But we must speak this message with boldness. We should do that as churches. Our churches should be bold in proclaiming that Jesus is the only way, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, We're proclaiming the name of Jesus. And that's also true of us as individuals. As individuals, we should proclaim that Jesus is the only way with boldness. And what does that mean then with with boldness? Well, it's not, again, an issue of of volume. I need to shout, Jesus is the only way at random moments. No, it's, it's more of a confidence with which we are speaking as you are sharing the gospel with someone. You should use authoritative language, not to boost yourself up, but to point people to the scriptures and to reality. Um, You want to give people the idea that this is not just a suggestion that Jesus is the only way, and it's not just a suggestion that you should repent. No, Jesus is the only way, and you need to repent. And that's where I think it's good for us to point people to the scriptures and replace language like, well, I believe, or I prefer to, well, the Bible says. Uh, There needs to be a boldness that comes across with a, a rightful authority, in evangelism. Now, obviously, we always want to be uh, polite in our conversation. I guess how God would define being polite. We don't want to be rude. I think it's good to, to listen to people, to try to understand where they are coming from. I think that's good, but don't let listening to other people mean, well, then I'm just not going to say what God clearly says. No, I want to be bold in proclaiming the truth, bold in the sense that I'm speaking straightforward, clearly, and authoritatively. That's what we need to do based on this conviction that Jesus is the only way. Now, the chapter ends with their response to being released, and there's two things that we see here. The first is prayer. They come together and they pray. Now, one thing to note here, look, they do not pray for their persecutors to be judged. They don't come and say, God, those men are so mean. Would you please smite them and strike them down tonight? No, that's not what they pray. And they don't even pray, God, this is really hard. Can you stop? Can you stop the persecution? Uh, No, they, they come and they ask for more boldness. They quote Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Uh, and talk about how that's being fulfilled in their midst. But then he asks, they, they ask God to look upon their threats, but then they ask God, give us more boldness that we would speak your word. We're not going to stop proclaiming the gospel. And that should be our heart, no matter how unpopular this message that Jesus is the only way gets in our culture, that that's the message we are still going to proclaim. And so we need to pray for boldness. And also note, again, how prayer is emphasized in the book of Acts. That's one of the other main takeaways I hope you get from this book is the importance of prayer and how God uses prayer to advance the church. So see how God even does that here. And then finally, we see uh, a passage really about them sharing. And again, consider that this is in the context of persecution. So in this increasingly hostile environment, they are committed as Christians to taking care of one another. And just a 
kind of a way to end this. I do think this passage, as we see the life of the early church, should really be something that God uses to help to kill materialism in our own lives. This life is not about being rich. It's not about having all the creature comforts and luxuries of the world. It's about following Christ. And so when persecution comes, we're not going to let that stop us because we're not living for the material things of the world. And we are going to be helpful to our brothers and sisters, even when that comes at a sacrifice to us, because it's not about the stuff. It's not about the money. It's about Christ. And it is about his people. So that's another thing we're going to see. And that's going to kind of then set up the next chapter. It's in the context of this giving that really leads to the drama of uh, chapter five. But the, the center of our chapter today is the reality that there is one way, there is one name that can save. And that is the name of Jesus. When the world looks to us, whether that's to our churches or to us as individuals, may they get a crystal clear and bold answer on that, that Jesus is the only way. May we, with the apostles, be able to boldly and confidently say that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name besides the name of Jesus under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.